Hi, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Hello everyone, today we talked with Sandra Goish. She is an educator uh, passionate about movement and about creating spaces where young people can express themselves. We were talking about embodied learning and embodied learning is a term that many of us might not be so acquainted with. Embodied learning or embodied cognition, body work. Mostly we talked about uh, her life experience and how that affected the way she works nowadays. And we explored how does one learn through the body? What can we learn through the body? Also, we explored what kind of practices can help us that, with that. So not really very difficult practices, but more how can we incorporate these activities that invite participants, young people, to see their body as this multi-sensorial platform to express themselves, but also to sense the world and to learn about themselves. It was a very interesting conversation. We hope that you liked it as much as we did. So let's talk youth work. Hi, Rui. Hi, Sandra. Hello. Hello. So we are back to another Talking Youth Work episode. And today we are in three different countries. I am currently in Iceland, where it's pitch dark. Uh, Rui, where are you? I'm in Portugal, as usual. <laughs> You're the one that travels, you know. <laughs> And Sandra, you are in? I'm in Ireland for yeah, a couple more weeks and then I'm going away again. But yeah, it's, it's where I consider home. Yeah, Ireland. <laughs> okay, because you are not originally from Ireland, are you? No, I'm not originally from Ireland. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your origins. <laughs> oh, where do you want me to start? Um, you were born? I was born, yeah. I was born in Slovenia. Actually, but my parents are from Bosnia, so they are immigrants. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Slovenia until I was 10 years old, and then we moved to Serbia. And uh, I spent, I think, yeah, 20 years in Serbia. And today is officially, yeah, seven years since I moved to Ireland. Yeah, so seven years officially living here. So my origins are kind of Bosnian Serbian um, and now I'm I think a mixture of all Bosnian Serbian Slovenian Irish um, it's all me wow wow that's impressive how do you think that shaped you I'm always curious about this how you know <laughs> how the movement the, the geographies of our lives influence who we are how, how did that shape you oh uh, well I think that's why I went into the embodiment because I was so curious about how did all these cultures shape me? How did all different values shape me? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was kind of fortunate and unfortunate to grow up 
to be a child during the ex-Yugoslavian war, which is why we moved from Slovenia. Right. So a lot of my experience of kind of living in these different countries were traumatic because there was a lot of war and a lot of poverty and a lot of being super aware of your identity or of your cultural identity or religious identity, national identity. Even though like when you're 10 years old, you're just a child and just you see yourself as a child. But somehow you suddenly become aware of all these labels and all this like... Yeah, all these kind of like um, um, identities that people attach to you and see you, see you through and judge you upon, uh, but they kind of don't feel yours. So I think a lot of my experiences of living in Slovenia and Serbia, particularly, were kind of trying to figure out well, who I actually am, and you know, does any of those identities and definitions of those identities, um, yeah, do, are they actually? Of course. Yeah. Um, And because, you know, like, because it was, I mean, we moved because of the war. (laughs) Um, um, It kind of, we always had to, I felt like I always had to defend um, my Bosnian heritage, you know, because at that time it wasn't really, yeah, I I think you're kind of on the bottom level of being a human being if you're a Bosnian, you know, you're perceived as a, yeah, not not the good people. Um, so that kind of shaped a lot of my identity in a sense that I had to change the way I express myself. I had to change uh, the way I had to change my language. I also kind of had to embrace different values just to be accepted and be- to feel kind of the sense of belonging, which is wow. what every, you know, which is every teenager wants that you know to be accepted and to be to belong. Of course. So that was kind of my journey through Serbia. <laughs> and uh, I mean, no wonder I left when I could. Um, so when I came to, to Ireland, it was kind of like, oh my God, no one knows anything about me. So, you know, <laughs> I can be truly myself here because in Ireland, there is not, there isn't this big knowledge around continental Europe in general. Serbia is not very popular kind of holiday destination. So it was really unknown. So here I really kind of blossomed into accepting my, uh, all of my uh, cultural and heritage identities. Um, And um, yeah, now I kind of carry all of my identities really proudly, you know, on my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. But it it feels like that's, that's a, that's a craftsmanship of making this patchwork of a lot of identity, a lot of trauma associated with a lot of different moments where these identities had um, ha- had a value or didn't have a value in society. And th- that's a heavy work. That's a lot of work, it seems to me, a lot of inside work. Yes, <laughs> a lot. It's funny, I was just at actually the training course where we had to, a topic was perform your identity and we were talking about all of these things. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of unpacking first. It's first, it's you're living through it. You, it. It's kind of, you're trying to make sense out of it. And then once you come to some certain mature age, you're trying to unpack every single thing that has happened to you, you know, and accept. And, you know, I mean, for me, there was a lot of shame attached to a lot of my identities right. as well. Mm-hmm. So to kind of, you know, come to a place where you have to unpack that, uh, understand, make peace with it, and then rebuild almost your identity, you know, 
Yes, there is a lot of inside work. There is a lot of outside work. There is a lot of questions. There is a lot of um, a work. Yeah, work is the word. <laughs> yeah, because you say unpacking, but I think I think under that um, very easy light word of unpacking, there's pain associated. It has to be, you know, it, it's painful to go through these processes. Um, it takes a lot of strength. That's that's where I want to get to. It takes a lot of resilience and. And to to stay at it, yeah. <laughs> without focusing, um, I mean, without focusing on all the negatives, but on yeah. how how do I want to build my identities in a way that I see myself, I'm authentic, and it helps me, and I'm proud of and satisfied in moving away from that shame. Yeah, well, I mean, yes, of course, I would say there's a lot of resilience, but I think um, there's also a lot of empathy, there's a lot of compassion, you know, there's a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, I think for me, it was a journey of self-love and self-acceptance and, um, right. um, yeah, removing the pain because, again, because of the, the cultural and social circumstances, my identity was, you know, I perceived my identity through the traumatic experience of the war, And right. where, you know, minorities were not perceived as this, like, you know, not welcomed. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, when, when, when you know, I had to deny a big part of who I am, which meant that I was ashamed of, you know, my parents and, you know, all of their stories as well. So for me, it was a journey of self-compassion, of empathy, of, um, yeah, just really understanding and embracing that and, you know, understanding that this is all me and that that is okay, you know, and I don't have to be ashamed of it. Um, so I don't, yeah, resilience, yeah, I would say resilience, of course, but I would say self-love, empathy and compassion as well. And also courage, because yeah. sometimes it's difficult to, to face uh, the things that we're facing. And one thing that I wanted to ask you is that, uh, how was it to... Uh, like you're a melting pot of cultures yeah <laughs> what was the first thing that you recognize as being your identity so you can start building from that uh you're asking me now at the age of 36 or in general <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah no, no oh, maybe that's a still an <laughs> ongoing process that that uh, will yeah. will never end and Maybe it's more difficult for someone who has to question uh, it all the time. <laughs> live through, yeah, 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 and and live. So it's easier for someone that yeah. is born in one country and lived all his life yeah. in one country, and without any trauma associated with being from this yeah. or that country. Well, I think I I was kind of um, I was really lucky to be born in Slovenia and to have that formative years. You know, I, I was there until I was ten. So that the, the values and the whole approach to education and the society was really uh, beautiful and empowering from my memory. So I do remember that even at that age, I was seeing myself as a human being. I didn't have any of, you know, concepts of being this or that. Uh, I just saw a lot of diversity around me. And I think that my biggest struggles after that were coming from this idea that was I was everything else before I was a human being. So... Now, if you ask me how to identify, I would always say first human being. And I was saying, I think I was saying that for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, especially since I was in this non-formal education area. Um, I really do want people to see me as a human being before everything else, which means that I have emotions, which means that I have uh, history, which means that I have my own journey, which means that I have a lot of different experiences. Um, so that's my first and my 
most important identity because it allows me to to change it allows me to be who i am <laughs> it allows me to explore who i am you know it allows others to also uh, be human beings around me and I, and i think i wanted to pick up on that to get mm-hmm. into uh the topic of today which yeah. is <laughs> embodied learning and then i want to go back to connecting this with your story but embodied learning i think this is a mystery for a lot of people <laughs> yes how could you explain this to somebody who never heard about embodied learning how would you explain it uh well first of all i would just you know show them a video of me <laughs> uh because apparently i'm this embodied person um i would say embodied learning is just a approach that really intentionally uses body to support our learning right so it's not just about the movement you know we often think embodiment is all about the movement um and you have to move a lot to be somehow embodied but no it's really focusing on the body as um kind of center of learning so something that can support our learning and it's really coming back home to our body and connecting our body and mind and soul and acting that you know as one does that make sense for you <laughs> yes it does it does so it's using the body as um a vehicle a channel for learning yes not okay. just that yeah it's kind of a source of learning as well so it's a source of information but also a place where change can happen you know okay. but it's really cre- using con- i think for me the, it's consciously and intentionally using the body to support our learning how do you do that it's up to you there's many different ways but i think it's kind of moving from that idea um that body is just a body you know physical aspect Uh, uh-huh. and it's not you know it has nothing to do with who we are as human beings when in fact it's really important part of who we are so you know including it as um this place to which we make sense of our experiences make sense of our identity make sense of the relationships that we have with other people uh, and you know it really provides answers to who we are you know and makes more meaning out of our yeah life and our um, experiences Okay so for for somebody who who is not somebody who is very in touch with their body let's say that that is mm. um it doesn't do a lot of practices that use the body how would you say that one can learn through the body what does i mean i think for some people it's hard to imagine what does it mean uh to learn through the body not through the brain <laughs> yeah well um <laughs> i think yeah um I would just probably say go for a walk. You know, that's one of the things. I think, you know, um there's this idea that when when you say we we need to use body to learn, it has like, it has to be like uh this big idea of we have to sit and, you know, meditate for three hours or or we have like to like really ambitious. <laughs> yeah, we have to, you know, have a, this big dance class or something. Uh when in fact embodied learning or using a body, you know, to support our our learning can be very really as simple as just going for a walk. You know, uh we are, you know, we are people we are as I was reading something somewhere and I was like, really that is true. We move uh from the moment we are in, you know, our mother's womb. You know, we are we right. we, we all the time we move and we experience we experiences experience life through the movement as babies we first you know we touch everything you know we crawl right. we you know we make sense of the world 
through touch and through the movement. So we kind of this idea that uh, we don't need to create something big to include body in the learning. We can just start by walking. Uh, but for those who kind of really want something structured, I would say probably kind of meditation or mindful breathing is a good start. You know, just kind of sit still and pay attention to what's happening in your body. And that's the first step, you know, being really aware of your body. Mm-hmm. Just being your body, isn't it? The embodying, you know, so embodied learning is maybe it's just trying to be in your body instead of, instead of trying to be where the next project or the next conversation or it can be also that you know it's it's uh, for me i think it's really looking at um i always say i'm i'm kind of always this independent observer of what's happening in my body you know so for example now i'm talking to you but i'm super aware of my breath and how you know how is that impacting the way i'm speaking uh But I do that without the judgment, you know, and I can also kind of adapt my breathing to slow down my my, my speak, my my, uh, my talking uh, and to also calm myself down. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's being in your body, being aware of your body, um, being aware how you move your body. Um, so that is the embodiment. Embodied learning is kind of bringing that into the real um, um, learning uh environment and using all of that to support the learning but do you use the the body as like a let me try to understand like a thermometer to check how are you learning or for example do you use the body to to check am i learning or what 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 is the real the concept of embodied learning do you use it uh, to teach the body uh, the to learn through the body or to learn new movements it is all of that you know i think first of all it's really getting to know yourself you know it it you use these principles to understand Uh, how yes how, how do you learn how do you feel uh how do you react um what triggers you what doesn't trigger you so it's really this kind of awareness and that you also use this body to understand how do you uh react to different situations or how can you um how do you develop relationships so it's about um understanding how do we relate to ourselves but also how do we relate to others and the world in general um And that is the learning where learning can happen. But also, yeah, how they learn as a, as a big concept as well. But it always starts from who you are, you know, where you are, who you are, how do you feel, what's happening in me now, and then looking from inside then to outside. How can we use these principles of getting to know who I am um, to get to know other people? Okay, so from what I understand, it's... Primarily, or, or or at one level, let's say, uh, an awareness, or one need, one can use the body and the cues that the body gives us mm-hmm. to become more aware, not just of the physical part, like you said, mm-hmm. not just about where is my body stand, how fast am I walking, no. yeah, but how does that portray what I'm feeling and my yes. needs and yes. my tears, etc. So. Mm. The body as a thermometer, like you said, but mm. like a display, like a screen of my inner life, of my inner yeah. movement, right? Yeah. So in the first of, yeah. stage, yeah. Yeah, kind of, you know, discovering 
yeah, this relationship that you have with yourself and different aspects of yourself and the relationship that you have with other people as well and the world around you. Yes. Yeah. And I can imagine that happening because many times I've been involved in body work yeah. and the reflection that follows it, my reflection that follows uh, a session of body work in a group always surprises me. This is the yeah. thing that I find very triggering is that <laughs> when I have a more, even if it's very emotional, but it's a talk, we're yeah. sitting and talking, that's it. The body is not activated as such, or I'm not aware of what's going on with my body. I'm just using um, my brain to access uh, and to explain, or articulate my emotions to, to the best of my abilities. I have certain discussions and I think there's a pattern on the kind of discussions I have, mm -hmm. a pattern, mm -hmm. on the kind of things I say, but... Mm -hmm. When I'm doing a session where there's a lot of body work, uh, group work, kinesthetic work, I always get very surprised with what comes out of my mouth afterwards. And my thought, <laughs> this is true. This is really true. I always end up saying things that I go like, oh, my God, I never said that before. And yeah. is it true? Is it not? This is new for me. It kind of opens yeah. me. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful, though? I it, think. it is. It is. Yeah. I think it's quite yeah. amazing. Well, I'm always yeah. amazed. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. Like every time I, you know, as a teacher or as a as a as a, as a learner, like you're always actually in that dual role of being a teacher and a learner. Right. Uh, when you do this kind of work, uh, I'm, it, there's always something new that you that I discover about myself, about how I see people, how I see the world, you know, how I relate to myself, and yeah, it's like it's a never-ending source of inspiration and learning. Yeah, yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, it gives us different cues it, because yeah. normally what we have cognitively is my own narratives. I have my own yeah. narratives that I constructed about who I am, how I deal with things. But then when I kind of activate the body and then I'm, I'm forced to reflect about what I've just what just happened, how I interacted with somebody, what I was afraid to, to do or not to do. Uh, that always takes me to new places. It always mm. um, brings a kind of information that I had hidden from myself. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I know who does does meditation. Who does this kind of resonate with you and your experience with meditation? Yeah, uh, meditation is like uh, if you start talking about uh, you have to meditate 3 hours, uh, it 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 makes it makes people run away. But that's why I started with 1 minute, 2 minutes, 3 minutes, 5 minutes. Uh and it developed from mm -hmm. that, but uh, I can see the the benefits of um, moving with conscious and sitting with conscious. I think the the thing is that in, right. is mm. that investigative curiosity. That's the trigger. It's right, you yeah. can be sitting down or you can be uh, walking. For example, I remember a, a workshop of clowning that I did with Anita. Uh, and I felt mm. very embodied and very conscious of, of what I was feeling. And I was paying attention to how my emotions were expressed in the body without mm -hmm. having to be conscious of mm. how others will perceive my emotions. I was just feeling yeah. and letting the body express himself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the second dimension of it, which is yeah. this getting more... Um, proud, it's not the word I wanted to use, but uh, uh, how, you, how could I say this? 
confidence yeah more com- exactly yeah. feeling more confident on using your body yeah. and slowly stripping out of the blocks that you have of oh i'm doing yeah. this is ridiculous i'm doing that people are going to judge me or yeah. right yeah definitely definitely somehow yeah like this outside the judge doesn't exist anymore or you know how we I, at least in my experience you know it's like yeah, this perception of how am I going to look, it doesn't need to come into the account because the freedom of, you know, being able to express yourself through your body and it's more, it's stronger, I think, you know, and the joy that that brings, um, yeah, it's more stronger than how others are going to see that, yeah. Right. Yeah. And one thing that was very interesting, I don't know if I said this to Anita already, but it was feeling, it, uh, being conscious of, all the blocks that we keep mm. for when we think that we have to behave like this or when the body feels this, we have to like lock it inside of us. Yeah. And it, 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 the when you do the opposite, you, that's where you be you become conscious of what you were blocking in all the 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 all the little locks that you're yeah. putting on yourself and your body and the pain that it causes you. Yeah. Right. And and I think with clowning that 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 happens a lot that we uh, slowly get into a flow of exposing more and more and more of our ridiculousness of our funniness, yeah. right? And yeah. that, and and hopefully that's the result that Rui just described that you kind of unlock a lot of uh, pre-designed behavior that you were um, teached by culture, whatever, yeah. and you start kind of unlocking that and puzzling that and finding that there's a whole new yeah. other picture underneath that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, that, that one of the beautiful things about embodiment approaches, I mean, clowning is one of, one of them, definitely, and I, I love it. But I think any embodiment approach uh, really opens this whole new world of choices, you know, like, because, you know, you're, we are all used to having this one way of being or one way of, you know, behaving or communicating or making relationships with other people. And, you know, when you strip down all of, all of those patterns, you realize actually you have choice. How can you behave or how can you react or you know, what can you do? What can you say? Exactly. And that's like, that's invokes or provokes this curiosity about, you know, human diversity, about who you are or who I am. And, you know, how can, you know, brings also this playfulness, playfulness and joy. And suddenly, even if there is pain, um, there's also joy, which sometimes it's not, um, that's present, you know, in education specifically. <laughs> um, right, right. So there is that this new dimension. Yeah. There's that aspect of using the body, not always, but many times can have this dimension of playfulness, of Absolutely. Uh, activating uh, yeah. ourselves as wholes, like in a holistic, not yeah. just our brains, but holistically. And of course, yeah. it depends from practice to practice. And we're going to talk yeah. a little bit more about different practices in a minute. Um but I was just thinking here that actually it's also about breaking patterns, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, using the body in creative ways. When we put our, mm. our bodies into positions where we're not accustomed to, not, like I sit and yeah. talk. That's like the, probably the position I use most to speak, yeah. seated. But when I start exploring other shapes on my body, other, using the space in different ways, uh, connecting with others physically and touching in different ways, uh, that yeah. kind of breaks a pattern of behavior. Yeah, and, uh, and opens possibilities. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, 
Yeah, even when you were, as you were saying that, like even the fact that, you know, in most disembodiment practices, most of the time you actually remove this verbal expression, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's really, um, really becoming aware, how can you communicate what's happening within you, you know, through different uh, ways, you know, without saying actually anything. So that's just really, really opens a lot of new possibilities and like uh, this playful yeah for me it's like a playground you know I really and I think when I uh when I specifically teach contact improvisation classes it's like suddenly you you see all these like adult children who are just having fun you know uh and that is um somehow impacting you know on different ways and learning in different ways but you suddenly yeah you see this adult adult children you know and it's Mm. beautiful yeah because there's a curiosity of a child but awareness of an adult you know and that's i think that's the the kind of description also of the embodiment learning you know like curiosity of a child awareness of an adult Um, right right um, very similar what we we use in clown as well yeah you know why well you know what i'm now becoming very conscious that we are having a podcast and we're sitting and talking (laughs) yeah (laughs) great things to move (laughs) well i'm moving a lot i'm like (laughs) <laughs> One thing that I w- wanted to to bring to the conversation is uh, about focus. Usually, we see we say to, for example, some people or some kids that uh, sit down, pay attention, right. yeah. and we we relate uh, <laughs> like standing still with focus. Mm-hmm. And can we focus without standing still? Can we focus without standing still? Absolutely. (laughs) I wanted to hear from you. I think you offended Sandra right now. (laughs) You did not, actually. I was just thinking, I was, I was, uh, for a long time, I was doing an aerial um, hoop. Uh, I was an aerialist for for a long time. And I remember uh, that moment of being fully in movement but fully focused uh on what my body is doing and what i'm doing on my breath and everything because uh it was very dangerous not to be focused you know so in any aerial aerial hoop hoop is the round one yes so not like round trapeze more or less yeah it's like a hula hoop but that's hanging from a ceiling yeah and so that requires a completely new level of focus because if you're not focused you're going to fall and you're going to injure yourself you know so you're doing all this um, amazing acrobatic skills uh, things exercises and moving you know your body basically in the air on this really tiny uh, surface uh, and that requires a lot of focus and a lot of uh, uh, control of your body as well but also because if you don't do that uh, you're going to fall and you're going to injure yourself and same with the contact improvisation or I think any other conscious dance practice uh, or acrobat or um, acro yoga mm. uh, yeah I mean if you're you're in the movement but you're focused really focused on yourself on the position of your body and the others and sharing that space um, so yes of course <laughs> and I want to take that cue to, to maybe explain our listeners, uh, we are talking here about, a lot about embodied yeah. learning and embodiment practices, but so what can they look like? What are we talking about? You mentioned a few, so yeah. contact improvisation, which is, how would you describe it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try, but I gave up. 
<laughs> I love that question because I, I always have to explain it. It's um, exploring, I suppose, the possibilities of the body movement through sense of touch. Okay. Yeah. So you do it with others? Yes, you can do it with you can do it also alone as a as a big i mean you can do it co contact through let's say environment and nature or you know i can contact uh with um, different surfaces in my house mm. for example but yeah the main focus in on sharing this space or with another person with through human touch so that's one of the uh embodiment practices which can be really challenging for a lot of people and requires a lot of i think before kind of a uh, simple simple practices or kind of maybe mm. more uh, individual practices before i started with yoga i think 15 years ago right. so that's always a good practice you know because it requires it brings a lot of different dimensions dimensions movement and meditation and mindfulness and the breath work i think that's the mm. biggest gift is the breath work of yoga um because if you can if you can be friends with your breath. You can be friends with yourself. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and breath can really support you. Uh, I think any kind of walking practice is also very good. You know, there's this movement of walking and talking, you know. Um, mm -hmm. um, so walking is a really good start. Uh, any kind of dance. Uh, for me, again, I love uh, contact improvisation. But when I was younger, I was doing all sorts of kind of conscious dance practices such as five rhythms you probably heard that which one which one five rhythms i have five rhythms yes Gabriela yes, Roth, yes. Mm -hmm. and then open floor which kind of came after that through that but there's a static dance or element dance there's a lot movement medicine is also very well known mm -hmm. so this is kind of more in the dance area um i think any kind of martial arts is also a good place to start ah, never thought um, of that yeah. yeah, I kind of, uh, when I was also younger, I was, yeah, I was playing with capoeira a lot. I, I love that because it's kind of fluid. Um, Aikido is a really good also, uh, yeah, a martial art place. I think um, any kind of aerial skill is also nice. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I think before I started the contact improvisation, I was doing theater a lot. So for me, I think one of the biggest learn uh, teachers was improvisation theater, uh, which I think, Anita, you're very familiar with. Um, so for me, yeah, the improv theater was probably the good basis to, to move into contact improvisation. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, any anything, um, yeah, any, any, all of those are really good places to start, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and and I know that a lot of our listeners are youth workers or educators um, in some kind of context. Yeah. What would be your advice for somebody who would like to integrate more embodied activities into the learning experiences they design for young yeah. people? For me, it's really hard to answer that question because I need to understand the cultural context where youth, the youth workers work. Uh, I think uh, because I was a youth worker for a long time, um, I was just doing it. You know, I was like, I would bring, for example, Dixit cards, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I would use that to for young people to talk about their emotions or how they are or you kind of you know, which kind of card asks, uh, rep represents you in some way, you know. So I was you know, you think all sorts, all sorts of materials that are very well known in informal education, to just really um, connect young people through, you know, to who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I remember then uh, in in my practice, uh, young people I worked with really loved this um, this game. Uh, how is it called? On the you can do it on the this Wii thing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. I think dance dance off or something like that. Okay. Uh, so we used to like, had like four hours of uh, competition in dancing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it brought this fun element, but also like really brought young people out of this you know kind of awkward you know it's like any kind of fun activity that young people wanted to do that they didn't see as a learning necessary you know they didn't see necessarily as like now we have to talk about our emotions it's kind of distracting them Mm -hmm. so we started with that and then uh, we also um then I just started dancing with them <laughs> again. <laughs> I think um, you know this really embodied person who is really comfortable with her movement, uh, and I express myself uh, with my body a lot. So that kind of you know young people started mimicking that, you know, and then I just started doing contact improvisation with them, which was really kind of challenging the 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 no touch uh, ideas in youth work, which I don't know how you know. In Ireland, for example, this they can't touch young people uh, concept is a big thing. Uh, so I don't know how it is in other countries, but I started challenging that, you know, and started hugging young people. So just really asking them to express themselves with their body, you know. Right. So I think it's kind of just, uh, yeah, uh, start from simple things, you know, like whatever you do in your youth work practice, Try to do it somewhere else, for example. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, take young people for a walk or take young people to the playground, you know, or uh, and do some theater improvisation practice or, you know, just use the exit cards or uh, start uh, um, creatively expressing. Uh, just bring, you know, crayons and, you know, modeling clay or something like mm-hmm. that, you know. So, you, Bring something that's simple that young people won't find threatening, that it won't be like put in this, oh, we are learning this, you know, but gently kind yeah. of introduce this different way of expressing yourself. And then you can build that upon, uh, you can build upon that and introduce different practices then. And I think that the key word you use there is like really this gentle yeah. uh, graduation, gra- yeah. gradual work where, um, not not everybody is ready uh, exactly. to, to use their body and to use that body in interaction yeah. with others, touching, hugging, dancing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's pretty much on the panic zone for a lot of young people due to yeah. the stage in life where they are, where the body yeah. is, are so strong, yeah. strong concerns for them, uh, but also for adults. Uh, and, and so this kind of gentle gradual process where people first are maybe just using their body for locomotion and yeah. then using their body to express maybe something simple and then yeah. bringing this interaction like slowly step by step yeah. this is very important yeah yeah it's imagine. very important yeah it's, it's kind of you know then it's also you also need to think about the environment as well you know there's so many elements that you need to mm. think about but i think yeah just ge- this gentle is a gentle introduction gentle invitation and if you Stop thinking about uh, embodied learning as this big, scary concept, but and just transform it into how can I uh, encourage more or invite more self-expression in the young people right. yeah, that I work with. Then this creativity aspect comes in, and you are aware that there's already so many tools that we are using as practitioners 
that I can bring into my practice. So, and, and it's interesting what you're saying now because it kind of brings this extra dimension. So we were talking about the body as this kind of platform where we absorb everything from the outside mm -hmm. uh, like a big antenna. So mm -hmm. how we can be more aware of that But mm -hmm. then also, how can we express more with our body? So we are again an antenna transmitting and how yeah. we can enhance that by becoming more aware and yeah. learning maybe new ways of using it as this channel that we have, this this privilege channel that we have to communicate yeah. with the world. And that's yes. very interesting, I think. It's like, a, it's it goes both ways. Yes, yes. It's, kind, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really like this, <laughs> for me, it's like this food, playful Uh, interaction <laughs> yeah it's like you the more I'm aware of myself the more I'm aware how can I express that you know uh, and communicate that with other people yeah mm. and I uh, guess that for youth workers if, if you're not using this kind of practices ideally um, I don't know if you would agree with this for me it seems that ideally then as a youth worker as a person yourself you should try something one that that appeals to you to kind of yeah. analyze how it works with you also yeah. so that you're not going to impose on others a process that you you yourself you don't believe in yeah, yeah exactly and you don't Abs know what absolutely yeah and that's i think what i would say if you know if anyone I, i think you need to be embodied person to do this kind of you don't have to be but like it just it's easier to kind of uh, make it att not attractive but interesting to younger to young mm. people you know like you have to and i think that one of the pr principles of embodied learning is as well you have to teach from the place of love you know like mm. so i'm really like i'm obsessed with contact improvisation and for me it's like i can you know i can use it in so many different settings with so many different target groups in so many different ways because i love it and i know the transformation it had on my life and then me as an already kind of embodied you know human being and therefore you know that passion that i have for it and the love and you know Uh, it's easy for me then to kind of show it to the young people. But also I think if you're going to start with any embodied practice for you as a place of curiosity, as, 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 a, as a youth worker, do something that brings you joy, something that you're going to look forward going to. You know, don't do yoga just because you have to do yoga. You know, it's a trendy thing. Like if clowning is a thing that brings you joy, go do clowning. You know, if, if uh, exactly. I don't know, you know, really it has to come from a place of empowerment. You know, I, And I this think, is the beauty of it, I yeah. think. You know, that there yeah. is so many different practices for so many different uh, tastes and styles and personalities. Yeah. You can definitely cho choose something exactly. to use your body in a conscious way yeah. that appeals yeah. to you. And once you are in it, then it's, you will be in the right place to bring that to your young people. Exactly. Uh, because you will have the passion and the connection and the knowledge and the experience. You, you went through it yeah. and, and you can help others go through it as well. Yeah. I have. Uh, I was listening. I was still here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you were dancing alone in the room. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I was uh, thinking about two things that mm -hmm. just came while listening to you. Is that, for example, in adolescence, mm -hmm. the body is going through a lot of changes. Yes. And usually. Uh, it's diff difficult for a lot of uh, people to be coordinated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking about the sentence that I heard the other day is owning your funk, owning yeah. your uncoordination. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think it's very important to, to allow uh, young people to express their not coordinated bodies mm -hmm. and 
it's a big uh, process in developing who you are because you have to accept that the body is going through that process and you don't have to be coordinated when you don't have the the body to be coordinated <clears throat> yeah but i think that's also one beauty of the embodied learning uh, or embodied approaches like you work with what's present you know so you're not you're not there's no you know right right or wrong <laughs> you know you're really allowing people to be who they are in all their awkwardness and in the in the young yeah, you allow young people to be young people. You know, you're just um, um, supporting, uh, embracing that. You know, that awkward phase of growing up. Uh, so I think for me that was the appeal in the in the embodied learning, uh, especially when I compare it to traditional formal uh, education, is because no one was challenging my. Yeah, like where I am at that moment in my life was completely okay. And that's the step where I need to learn and that everything that happens is okay. Um, and that's the beauty of embodied uh, principles. If you, and if you include them in the youth spaces, they're immediately more diverse. They're immediately more accepting because you just work with what's present. Exactly. I remember that from when I started using uh, some um, embodied practices uh, as a participant, I had this prejudice that I had to move beautifully. Yeah. <laughs> because I had I had I, I was in, in classic ballet when I was three. So I carried that to yeah. adulthood, you know. When I was when I was moving in whatever, people told me, do a monster. And I was doing yeah. this most elegant beautiful monster. <laughs> <laughs> I was not doing like the swan leg, they're not a yeah. monster at all. I couldn't see myself. In, in ugliness I couldn't yeah. my body couldn't even get into that shape and it, it, it's a process to yeah. kind of accept yourself into this first to fall into the body you have because there's yeah. also the same issues with the clothing you take to this yeah. session how do you don't know I, people yeah. go to these yoga sessions and we know with these leggings and this yeah. stuff yeah want to look like a model doing yoga mm -hmm. that's not like how it should look in real life but, no and, and life is messy exactly yeah. and and yeah. i think these practices can help us kind of go through that together and with young yeah. people especially that's interesting yeah. to do yeah. this kind of a safe space where you can use your body in a different way and, and there's yeah. no judgment the no creating that safe space for me uh looks yeah. like fundamental no yeah Absolutely. I think I, you know, when I left my uh, previous job, um, um, I, I, I'm still in the town where my previous job was. And I so I am lucky enough that I still see the young people that I worked with, you know, um, in the past years. Oh, that's great. And yeah, it's beautiful. And because I was working in the LGBT community center, I was, you know, constantly, um, I was seeing human diversity in so mm. many different ways all the time. Um, and, and therefore behavior that we attach to different genders is also kind of, you know, diverse. <laughs> it wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, what we expect. But uh, it was still a year later, I see these young people on the street and I all of them, when they see me, they come and they hug me, you know, whether that those are boys, girls or transgender or, you know, gender non-binary young people, you know. And um, 
and I keep thinking, why is this happening? You know, because, um, you know, first of all, when I started there, there was no hugging, there was no touching, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was this really cold and for formal environment, you know, and it was really big process of changing that. So when I started introducing the touch, the friendly touch, the consensual touch, you know, the supported touch, um, I started seeing that they started doing that for themselves, you know. So a year later, I still see the young people that I used to work with. Uh, and the first thing they do, they hug me, you know, like it's so normal right. for them to do that. It's not threatening, you know, it's like, this is how it should be. Uh, and that was, you know, the, the 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 beauty of that work of introducing this human aspect of being definitely, youth. Definitely, definitely. You know? And you're just giving me the idea that we should have a, an episode just about touch. About yeah. <laughs> it's this, just about how yeah. important it is and how can you explore it in so many different ways. It's yeah. really very important. Okay, we're almost finishing our talk and mm -hmm. I want to introduce something <laughs> that now it's going to be like a splash in the water. Um, we have a tradition, which mm -hmm. is our past guest has left a question for the unknown future guest, which happens to be you. And Rui has that question and he's going to ask you that question. Are you ready? Yes. And the question is, how can youth work contribute to engage young people in developing more sustainable local communities. All right. Oh, wow. So how can you so repeat? So how can youth work? Contribute to engage young people in developing more sustainable local communities. How can youth work? Okay. So for me, I suppose the answer would be uh, give young people the responsibility and the ownership of their own spaces. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah and uh empower them to be the support for themselves and support for each other you know so it's kind of removing this adult from the picture and understanding yeah really empowering them to to be um to own the spaces where they are where they belong where they inhabit uh, and giving them uh, freedom of choice to decide what's going to happen with that space and what's going to happen with the the activities we're going to involve them. Uh, I think that creates a sense of initiative. I think that creates a sense of uh, responsibility and um, curiosity to create a change. Um, so, yeah, really empowering young people to be supportive towards themselves and towards uh, their peers is... Uh, yeah, I agree very much with that. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, and becoming uh, becoming part of the solution, owning the 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 issues, makes them yeah. more uh, engaged. Yeah, I think it's 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 uh, the case of any migrant or any minority groups to to kind of go back to the the beginning of this conversation. I hear a lot from uh, you know minority cultures, uh, which I suppose that's how we treat young people as well <laughs> as minority groups. Mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of Young, and old people also. And old people as well, yeah. Um, kind of, you know, they, they have this uh, beautiful uh, sentence, we don't want things to happen for us, we want things to happen with us. Hmm. Um, so I think in any case, if you engage young people in any activity, in designing them, delivering them, you know, making, you know, really giving them the freedom to choose and create that's a sustainable way of being because they own that learning or they own that project or they own that change and that process. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sandra, do you want to leave a question for our next guest? 
I wish I knew who it was. <laughs> no, you can't know. Yeah. <laughs> so it has to be for youth. It has to be related to youth work. Yeah, to innovation in youth work in general. But okay, youth work. Mm. Mm. Oh, will I go down the gender route or not? <laughs> I will not. Um, I suppose, any route is yeah. Any route is acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I'm uh, more curious about. Uh, um, the va values and passions. So some questions around passions and values. Um, so passions and values in youth work? Yes, or how something around how can we align our own personal values and passions with uh, values and passions of organizations that we belong to? That's a great question. Yeah. As it is, how can we align our how personal you say Personal, personal, passion. personal passion. values and passions. Our values and passions with the values and passions of the organizations that we are part of. Yeah. Work. I think that's a great question. <laughs> values and passions alignment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. Okay. Sandra, is there any suggestion, practical suggestion you would have for our listeners that want to kind of go down this road of exploring more body activities, body work, body approaches into their youth work? I mean, a book, a movie, is there anything that you could recommend? Uh, a lot of things, I suppose. Uh, a warm bath? Uh, <laughs> 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 I, uh, for, really, for educators and youth workers, I would recommend the book The Embodied Teen by Susan Bauer. And she really talks beautifully about the whole language about the of embodied learning and the touch. And she has a whole curricula around wow. the embodied, uh, how to introduce this embodied practice to, to youth, specifically young people. For those who are wow. working more with the train, yeah, it's it's an amazing book. Um, for those who are working more like uh, with adults in terms of training and coaching, I would recommend uh, The Art of Somatic Coaching mm. by... Um, Actually, who is this by? I don't know. Yeah, Richard Richard Strotzi Heckler. I don't know how to. We will put the references yeah. on the text. Yeah. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Uh, really beautiful work, uh, book as well. I do recommend to Google Mark Walsh and the Embodied Facilitator. Mm -hmm. um, he has this whole coaching approach, and he is the one that's running the embodiment conference, online conference that's happening next year. There was one last year, one happening next year. Mm -hmm. Gathers different embodiment practitioners from different areas, and it's kind of yeah, a free conference. Free conference. It's lasting for seven days, so that's a good start. Uh, I would recommend, of course, anyone to go to contact local contact improvisation classes or improvisation <laughs> theater classes. For the books as well, on more activities, I would say Dance Improvisations book is really good. And there's also a book called Moves. Um, and then just see where it goes. Oh, yeah. And I have to <laughs> mention, I have to mention this beautiful Key Action 2 um, um, yeah, a project. Uh, that was run by one of our uh, mutual uh, person, fellow, the person we know, Anita Inese uh -huh. from Latvia. Yeah, so they were running Key Action 2 project called Embodied Change. Okay. And they have a beautiful toolkit and set of cards um, that you can use for the embodied uh, learning practices. And as far as I know, 
they will also have free online courses on embodied learning. That well, that's amazing. We have a whole library now and uh, <laughs> opportunities. Yeah. So, but that's where I think that's where I would start uh, with all of uh, yeah learnings. And I think for me, it's better to go and immerse yourself in something and see what sparks the joy in you. <laughs> And then start yeah. learning maybe I more. Think that's always the best start to yeah. learn anything. Yeah. Well, Sandra, it was such a pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you for sharing your story with us and your practice. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. I hope this is inspiring a lot of our listeners to... To get up and move. <laughs> to move to involve the body in their learning experiences to allow young people to learn through their bodies as well yeah thank you so much you're very welcome thank you okay and see you all very soon see you This podcast is produced by Tim Maes with the support of UMAC, University of Applied Sciences. 